0: I'm Dr. Jamie Grant, I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. I'm excited to bring two mappers to the podcast today. Alexis Pauline Gums, a widely known and read black feminist futurist and self-described love evangelist. What could be better for our podcast? <laughs> whose work includes the anthology Revolutionary Mothering and her poetic speculative fiction M-Archive and Spill. Alexis has many ardent followers and I count myself lucky to be among them. Also joining us today is Sean Godera, a black feminist spiritual leader, filmmaker, poet, and creator of what I think of as revolutionary new forms of learning and celebration at the intersection of art and spirit including Mobile Homecoming, and the Black Feminist Film School. It's Shango Dare. Oh shit,
1: <laughs> sorry.
0: Ready go, ready go. Also joining us is Shango Dare, a black feminist spiritual leader, fem- filmmaker, poet, and creator of what I think of as revolutionary new forms of learning and celebration at the intersection of art and spirit, including Mobile Homecoming, and the Black Feminist Film School. Alexis and Sean Godare are also long-term beloveds, and I'm excited to have our first life partners on the podcast today. (laughs) Hello! Hello! (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for thinking of us. If you could introduce yourself to our listeners with three descriptors of your desire, as we do in the workshop, and then any other important information that you want our listeners to know about you. Mm hmm I
1: can go first. I'm Alexis Pauline Gums and I am a queer black troublemaker. And I thought about my descriptors, and I was like, I often had different ones for mm-hmm. desire mapping yeah. workshops. And then I was like, but actually, those are my values. Like I realized that even in engaging the desire mapping descriptors, it was about like trying to get desirability for myself Mm -hmm. out of other people. And I was
2: like, actually who
1: I wanna be in the bedroom is who I wanna be in the world and that's Queer Black Troublemaker. Yes.
2: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Uh, I'm Shango Dare, and uh, my three descriptors are healing love, um, ceremony, Mm. and the color purple. Uh-huh. So the color, the book, the film, <laughs> the, the uh-huh. private musical, yeah. <laughs> Maybe <love> not. That. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. So we worked on Desire Mapping many years ago, you were both on the, the panel for the Institute one year, um, and then you've just gone on to do so many creative, spiritual revolutionary projects together. I wonder if you can tell our listeners a little bit about how spirit and desire sort of threaded through your work, or anything that comes to mind about sort of how that how you built on that.
1: Well, yeah, I think spirit and desire definitely flows through our work. The way that I feel about it is that spirit is what brought us together. I think about Shambhadi as like a gift from my ancestors to get me to live my truth and my highest purpose. So that is completely spiritual, which means everything in our relationship is spiritual. And it's almost a constant meditation of like, how do I how do I honor Shango Dari understanding that that's a, a gratitude practice for what spirit has brought into my life. So I would say that from early in our relationship, we thought about our missions on this planet and how We wanted to create ceremony and transformative space, especially rooted in intergenerational queer black community and how we're interested in creating intentional spaces where people can feel loved such that they can grow and they can tell truths that they have never felt safe to tell Mm -hmm. before. Or they can open up to possibilities that they haven't seen for themselves before. We do that in a whole bunch of ways. A lot of listening with the Mobile Homecoming Project. We traveled around the United States in a 1988 Winnebago (laughs) with Shayro, and we listened and did ceremony of offering and dancing and praise poems for people who we saw as elders and who we wanted to express our gratitude for, but also just hold ceremony where they could be themselves in a way that wasn't about justifying their existence, but was actually about the celebration that they have lived, and they have made our lives so much more abundant and possible just by their examples.
0: hmm
2: hmm So that's one of the ways You about some of the other ways. Um, yeah, I would say um, cultivating practices is really the the biggest way. So like daily spiritual practices. um, So learning through that, but also sharing the things that we learn. Um, Practices that like disintegrate fear, Mm -hmm. I think is a big part of Mm -hmm. um, that work in terms of how we relate to sex and desire. Like disintegrate fear, but also that make the sound of our desire more perceptible to ourselves. Um and, yes, I think that looks like mostly morning spiritual practice, and um, and like in community with other people, like really creating spaces that are safe enough or at least just sweet enough mm. for them to be able to be to be vulnerable and express. And I feel like it's a feedback loop when you can do that for yourself in your partnership or in community. And then it's like, well, they said that truth, well I can offer a truth. Well they said that truth, well, I have, well then now I'm telling my whole truth. Um, so <laughs> I think that that's um, one thing. And um, I think within that though, a practice of, at least for me, having really specific and strong boundaries, um, especially as someone that people look to as a leader, uh, spiritual leader in particular, and then I'm getting into my eldership and um, you know not knowing where the line is and still not wanting to get even close to the line I think mm-hmm. that that's also an important part of the work that I'm in and like listening to people like when Alexis is like maybe mm, don't say that you know <laughs> <laughs> and letting that even be a positive part of our partnership and relationship and not a like punitive part
0: well, said so, so many rich things there one of the things that really jumped out at me though was when you said sweet you know creating a sweet place because it's so much what I get when I see you to relate to each other mm-hmm. um, you know just the old-fashioned idea of being sweet on somebody <laughs> you know uh, you, you you never seem to uh, run out of the sweet in the mm-hmm. way that you relate and the spaces that you create um, it's kind of extraordinary I think. Um, so, is it too much to ask to see if you could tell us a story about the beginning and like finding each other, those sweet moments? Like, I think of that poll. I actually can't imagine what happened <laughs> at the beginning, you know, and I've always wondered. So, I'm doing this for myself as well as everybody else.
1: Yeah. Well, you were saying something just earlier about, um, so when we met, I was in Atlanta for a research fellowship during graduate school. And Shah lived in Atlanta and mm-hmm. was in film school. And we were at different events, like I guess queer, black-centric mm-hmm.
2: events. Yeah, There we were at a, a book event mm-hmm. where we had a lot of friends in common, of them introduced us to each other. <laughs> Even though I had were like, shared my campaign <laughs> for uh, divine-inspired partnerships, then so nobody introduced us to each other. But we were there at the same event. and. Uh our friends in common were trying to get me to come to the club and I wouldn't go. But I went. <laughs> and
1: then And then we were at um, Quirky Black Girls Cookout at Black Gay Pride, which my friend Moya Bailey and I we hosted that together and I tried to introduce myself but it was it was like a We had a miscommunication. It was a failure <laughs> it was the matter. I love it. And so it wasn't until really like a couple weeks later Mm -hmm. and we were at a a house party fundraiser for critical resistance Mm. and so we were talking about that this morning of like the place where we actually found each other and were able to communicate was about liberation you know like this place that was about like resources (laughs) for the freedom of our people and the ending of prisons and I think that that actually is something that is so true. I would say, especially in, I mean, in so many areas of our relationship. But I think about like what are the, what's the freeing and like being able to see and then free myself from prisons is actually an experience that I have of our relationship, especially in terms of intimacy and sex and sexuality. It's like, yeah, this is. Sometimes there are prisons we don't even know, like mm-hmm. ways that we've locked ourselves down that we don't even get to see mm-hmm. until we have, like you said, a sweet space
0: where it's safe enough to be like,
1: oh, I could be more free than this.
0: you know
2: I could be even more free than this.
0: There's yeah. somewhere else to go. Yeah. that I haven't even imagined yet. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say another part of that story is that I had been engaged in a very robust process of trying uh, festing partnership. That included a list, uh, meditation practices, <laughs> and dating practices. Where you know, if I realized I was on a date with somebody that was not her, I would immediately end the date, whether it was twenty minutes, right, forty-five minutes, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and it worked. There she is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think also at that very beginning point, I mean, I actually was. In a space of healing, Mm -hmm. I had come out of a relationship with, well, someone who was dishonest with me, but then the real tragedy was I was, I became dishonest with myself because I wanted to believe the lies (laughs) of a dishonest person. Um, And so I was in a place where that had ended relatively recently, and I was re-finding my own yes and my own trust for myself. And you, Shango Dari, where I feel like the first way that the universe was really like are you going to say yes to yourself? Are you going to trust yourself even though you're scared to trust yourself because you've been recently hurt? And I think that that's um, I mean it's interesting because you were in this intentional process and I was probably more in an avoidant, afraid place but there was something about definitely your sweetness and our First encounters and conversations and your specificity that made me really able to and also your questioning, you know, like your questions about like, so how many dates until we're dating, and like how long are we dating until we're going steady, you know, like these amazing. But whenever I asked myself and checked in with my body around it, it was always yes, you know, and I had this feeling that like this was my. Reunion with my own yes, which is which is a huge gift because of course that that moves out to so many different areas of my life where I had to learn to say yes
2: to myself and trust myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. I like the word you use, reunion, because it makes me think about uh, like you showing up in my life was well, Alexa showing up in my life was like um, like oh. I can have what I want, you know. Oh, um, so
0: intense, right? Yeah,
2: and like there are things you know that that are amazing about Alexis that are not on the list, mm-hmm. um, and I'm so grateful. Um, <laughs> and I feel like years so some of the things I was present to, but I feel like it was years later where I was like, you know what? She's giving me this sort of um, '80s '90s nerd film. Uh, like ideal woman thing. Uh-huh. So there's, there's the librarian, right. There's but there's the supermodel, there's the girl next door, uh-huh. and it's like but then there's also like the genius and the nurturer like all wrapped up in one amazing, beautiful package, and I think um, at different places, I've been present to different aspects of that it's just been really affirming to be like oh my gosh, regardless of where those constructs got created, they're in there, and I'm grateful I get to have what I want, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that even that is a a way that it can affirm other desires in other areas of my life. Even if there are desires that ultimately I'm not okay with, I need to acknowledge them and be able to voice them and affirm them so that then maybe a shift could happen, yeah. Oh, so it's I, yeah, it's yeah. not silence, it's not in the shadows, mm-hmm. and it's not judged, and mm-hmm. I think that that's even a, a gift of Alexis's just being so loving and not judging um, anything that comes up, it's mm-hmm. like we can engage it together, and that's really well, it. I think
0: that's so critical, you know, I mean, it's just such a common story in every story I hear about sex that People are uncomfortable with their desires or they think they shouldn't have them or they, you know, they just, you know, think there's something wrong with or a huge gap between their values and their identity and these things that are coming up. And there's kind of no way to live. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it it is like, you know, the structures of violence around us are really aimed at shutting us down and create having us create a hole in those spaces mm-hmm. rather than having space to open up. And I mean for a lot of couples, be talking about those things create polarization and friction mm-hmm. rather than an opening, as you're saying. So I mean I just wonder if you could talk about that. That's a pretty mm-hmm. spectacular and unusual space to create together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that It's some of those same practices, you know, even the um, that we're thinking about in community like constantly being like, how do we create the ceremony? How do we create the safe enough space for, you know, black queer elders to tell their truths in in a way that is liberating for them Um, or for, you know, children to imagine that, you know, like all, all of the things that we do. I think it's also... In our relationship, it's like, okay, what is the ceremony that makes it possible Mm. for us to say things that, as you said, our whole society, our whole lives, some of our scripts and our early family of origin decisions, all that stuff makes it seem like, oh, it's impossible. Like, it's impossible to say this. How do we actually create the space where we're not afraid and not judging ourselves, and therefore, not judging each other in, in what we hear. You know, like how do we actually create that? I think our shared belief that it's always possible to create that has been a huge blessing. I mean, so now this is this is our twelfth year of yes. love together, and I think that that's something that we've had the whole time. You know, like I remember, I remember being in. Um, We were in an intimate space that I was, like, shut down, and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I remember this was early in our relationship. You were like, okay, well, tell me how do you feel. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you. And you said, what's the first letter? Mm -hmm. And that was so amazing to me because, first of all, it was okay that I didn't know how to say it. You know, there was an acceptance in that that was transformative for me and beyond my judgment of myself. You know, like, I'm a person who's supposed to know what to say. You know, no. like, I got a PhD in English, whatever, because good at I think? People you know, hire me to right? say right? things. this is my So not even, like, it being okay that I don't know what to say, and then you have just... To me, what that communicated was, like, I'm with you. If you can just find a letter, like, we'll just start wherever you are, you know? And that... Um, that was huge, and I think that that has... Characterized our relationship. You know, even if it's like, okay, take a moment, or what do we need to do? Maybe we both need to do a free write and then come back, you know, like, oh, right. like oh, and <laughs> then like
0: come back to Come back <laughs> to <I can't laughs>
1: clarify things. You know, it's um yeah, I just think that level of patience has has sparked the type of self-love and the type of generosity that as you said Jamie I think our society is like don't no don't be patient with yourself
0: don't be patient with other people you know like no and, and if you say the thing you're going to lose everything mm-hmm. you know uh I, I mean I just really I started to cry hearing that just say the letter I'm going to just have to I just need a moment it's so beautiful you know and in my practice with couples so often how I feel when we start is that one or both of them are so afraid that they're going to say something that just is impossible Mm -hmm. for them as a pair that's just going to destroy everything Mm -hmm. so you know creating that space together it is the revolutionary work you do everywhere else Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's just really beautiful to hear it like down on the micro Mm -hmm. you know yeah
2: i mean i think there was another time where i felt like we both had things to say that we weren't saying, I felt like we couldn't say, and I created some kind of game. <laughs> but I remember there was yeah. little strips of paper, yeah. and you could pull a strip of paper out. Yeah, and it like combined
1: with another one, and it was ways of like, how do we feel? And I think, like I remember there was one that you offered that was like, I don't know, like a space alien. Um, <laughs> But it was like a way to tell this story of what has the internalized impact been of like in my queerness, in my gender queerness, being feeling not only misunderstood, but like not understandable, you know, like what has that impact been on um, how does that show up and how does that show up in terms of literally our own intimacy and our own. Ability to ask for what we need, or desires to not always have to have it be asked, and you know, like
2: just. exactly. And and I feel like that, that that's a value of ours is that the ceremony can always be found. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if I'm having a challenge around saying what I want or being what I want, well, maybe I can make a game where it's mixed in there, <laughs> and both of us get the opportunity. To be and request, mm-hmm. but it's facilitated, mm-hmm. and obviously you know con- consent is involved. If you pull something and you're like, "I refuse," well, <laughs> right. you got that information. <laughs> right. We're not going to talk about that. Right. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, I feel like that that if that the foundation of our relationship makes all these other things possible. That mm-hmm. love is the foundation. That non judgment is a foundation, and that a, a real belief that we can always find the ceremony for what we want to happen and what we want to create it makes anything else possible. You just have to figure it out, you know? It may take time, it may take investment, it may even take asking for help, which we've done before, Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but we can always figure it out. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the two two threads that are coming up for me is, I mean, one of the reasons I do this work is that I can see in terms of creating fuel for our movement and vision, Mm -hmm. That being more connected to our desire and having the freedom that you're talking about to really like break into those like silenced spaces and those tamped down spaces, it it is about like moving out in the world in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. So, I wonder about that in your work, but I also see how much our bodies suffer Mm -hmm. right from this incredible, you know, oppression and repression. And I wonder if we could talk first about how your embodiments and your identities, just your feelings and your bodies, your experiences of your sexualities and your genders have changed in relationship or grown in relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I would say, so like listening to my body, and I talked about that earlier in terms of like reunion with yes, I think that there's... I'm finding that there's so many layers of what it means to be able to listen to my body, to be able to be in my body. And as thinking that where I am now is a, is a place of what I learned being socialized and like what I felt like, what I feel like was like a violent, disempowering part of like my feminization in society was this. Insistence on passivity mm-hmm. and that passivity, like especially in relationship to sexuality, it always had to be like, oh, it's just something that you, it's only something that you receive. You know, it's something that happens and you gladly accept it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something that you, that I get to say like, this is what I want to happen or initiate or, and and what I I've been thinking about that for a while, but what I've realized more recently. And it shows up in multiple areas of my life Is that that has Thread in me this Deep Set of strategies to try to not Experience rejection mm. Right and mm. so it's like oh what is that About and I was like oh so the thing that Has been Comfortable but also escapist About that version of feminization That's like just ultra passive That there can't be receptivity and, You know right, all right. those balances But that that piece of it has been, oh, if I never initiate anything, I never have to experience rejection. Mm-hmm. I might finally learn to reject something. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing than actually being vulnerable enough to risk rejection by speaking what I want or making a first move. You know, like that. Yes. that that's like yes. a really, really deep socialization. And it shows up, it shows up in relationship to sexuality, but then being able to see that makes me see, oh, it shows up so many different areas. Right. You know, right. like it's it can show up in really any form of confrontation. Any, you know, it's so amazing because, of course, as Audre Lorde teaches us, our silence will not protect us. Mm-hmm. However, I can think about silences in family relationships and conflicts that mm-hmm. are part of my life right now. I can think about. What it means to wait and see, um, and not to say that there's not times where it's great to right. wait and see, and, there, and there's wisdom. But just in to that. have our lives
0: constructed as a wait right. and see prospect.
1: Yeah. Right. And like, oh, I'm doing that because I because I feel like that will protect my heart, but I'm caging my heart at the same time. We did this writing activity in a, a workshop I facilitated last week, and it was called Rib Cage. And it was like, what are those things I do mm. to protect my heart? and this work of, of seeing between like there are things I do to protect my heart that are like boundaries, and right. this is something that's self-loving to me to be protecting my heart in right. a generative way. And then there are other things that are, for me, show up as not intentional, that show up as escapist, where I'm protecting my heart just of like fear of its full expression, mm-hmm. and fear especially of rejection. And so I think that that's something that is so interesting to me because it's had me think, that's what had me think even differently about my descriptors for today because I was like, oh yeah, there's something major going on where if, I, if, if the um, socialization of patriarchal femininity that I have been raised into says you don't have actually any power to assert anything. You just have to try to like low key manipulate what other people are going to assert to you, right? Because you're going to have to accept it, right? But maybe you can maybe, maybe you can get something. That you know you, what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, even well, I don't even fully remember what my um, descriptor was for the desire mapping workshop, but I was like, it was that. Like that was my relationship to it. It was like managing other people's perceptions of me mm. and um, subordinating my own intentions and actual desires and values to this place that, that's, that's manipulative and to me that's separate from from source and like the truth, which is that I have my own connection to the source of everything, you know, like that I'm participating in creation mm-hmm. and I'm creating my own life and I get to create a world and ceremonies to be in together with people as opposed to I just have to mitigate and manage this context that already exists Mm -hmm. and I just got to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's something that unfortunately I think is a dominant narrative about sex and sexuality. Like you deal with it, especially from a feminized perspective. So it's something that you deal with. It's something where there's this like, this energy coming from outside of you that's masculine and it's more powerful than you and you just have to deal with it and manage it Mm -hmm. and manipulate it and maybe deceive it and contort it away. right, right. You know, like whatever you Survive it. Mm-hmm. Survive it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think that so listening that has nothing to do with listening to my body, right? Yeah. Like that's definitely a very much in my head place of like figure it out, manage, try to protect yourself from having to even deal with what it is to have a body in, in this world. And there's something so amazing that's possible when it's like okay, but because I am embodied, I always have the, I always have the power to ask, what do I want? I could trust that. Yes. But it's also a practice, and um, there's a,
2: there's a major unlearning that's linked to that practice. Yeah, I think a lot has changed so thankfully Alexis showed up after I was sort of initiated into black feminism but <laughs> a black feminist thought and theory class the seminary in theology school at Emory thank you Dr. Beth so I was my, my masculinity had already started to be sort of destabilized mm-hmm. um thankfully because it was a sort of you know I'm a I'm a very happy person but in loving person but like in college people would say, you know, I was mean.
0: Like, why, is, why do they right. think I was mean? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, what I, you know, came to understand is that, you know, there's this sort of like, butch, uh, mean mug, and this, you know, still talking about protection, protecting yourself, right. f- fear, and so I, I had that from, you know, the clothes that I wore, the way, the spaces that I would be in, the relationships I would be in, the places I would go, just every part of life, a lot of just rigid, constructed masculinities. I don't think I have to say enough, we kind of know what the range of what that type of thing looks like. I think that being in relationship with Alexis and just her extreme desire, extreme depth, uh, <laughs> acceptance, I feel like really, you know, opened a lot of space for me. And even just how she, how she lives out her politics, it opened up a lot of space for me. And also us being in a spiritual walk together. And I think there is a way that over that vast amount of, I mean, 12 years, not really long, but uh, it's, it's long. more than a quarter of my life so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, being in a spirit practice, like I was able to get in touch with, oh, you no, know, I'm, a, I'm a spirit being. Like, the essence of who I am is not a material form. And what I can, what that gave, gave me access to was a sort of presence to, oh, so then I have this body for a particular mission that I'm on. And this particular type of body and this specific body it gives me access to certain vibrations and certain energies and certain spaces from the race to the uh, sex and how it's perceived and all of that. And so it gave me a doorway to, to loving my body and accepting my body in, in collaboration with Alexis' desire. But also to be like, yes, and there are other forms that articulate what my, who my body is if that makes sense. So, you know, there we have a teacher who has multiple students whose names start Shango. So, um, you know, she would be trying to think of whose name to call and she's getting mixed up so she just started to say Shango Baby. And I'm like, okay, like that kind of touches my BOI energy, my boy energy is like this maybe not sexed, Mm. young person or it could be you know a little boy or a little girl but there's that energy of like playfulness and naivete and and things that I feel like gave me access to destabilizing the sort of rigid masculinity and then I think through my Risha practice thinking about how you know there are forces of nature that can be embodied that I can identify with that maybe are a, a a far leap from shango baby and Dari. so i guess i guess really what the conclusion of that journey is is that there's so much space and space for how i experience my body experience gender and i get to play with that Mm -hmm. and i get to invite other people into that play it just feels really liberating it creates an opportunity for me to express desire and express sexuality and intimacy bigger than what society has created my mm-hmm. identity to be in my head cuz you know those old tapes still play oh my god yes but if i can if i can put on you know you know a shango hat or i can put on a julia hat or i can put on a shango baby hat it's like no it's okay you're over here it's like again i had i found the ceremonies for myself Mm -hmm. to step outside of my own fears and Mm -hmm. blocks and limitations
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well it's just so amazing to hear this because hearing your story about sort of the 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 violence of feminizing sort of telling you you can never initiate you can never create your own but i mean there are very few people in my life who I look to who have created a path that is unlike anything else and helps me think I can break out of things and you are one of the (laughs) people, right? And so it's like, you know, here you are as someone who very publicly, obviously, to many of us, do this every day. You've just created a path, you know, that's not your typical PhD, (laughs) blah, blah, right? And yet, you know, it's, it's so powerful, the violence of that feminization, mm-hmm. right? To say, I'm going to initiate, I am going to create my sexual path. Mm-hmm. And, and for you, too, just that the rigidity of sort of the butch, you know, this this is your identity. Now you can never receive, you can never be vulnerable, you can never you can I mean, smile. Right, you can, you can never smile. Somebody might so yeah. talk to right? Me, right, I'm right. But what I think is so beautiful is I think that most people in meeting you and seeing your practice in the world would think, oh, they don't struggle with that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you have a story about a particular moment mm-hmm. where you remember yourself moving against those things, or you remember in, in you know connection to each other, you were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that now, or I'm going to stop doing that, or... Ooh, I'm in a place I've never been. And if you could describe one of those places for us, because I think it could be really helpful for folks.
1: Mm-hmm. There is an experience I'm thinking I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Madame Mai. Okay. My okay. Mai, Mai. Which is, I think, a role-playing moment that came out of that game that mm-hmm. you created that we talked about with like, mm-hmm. the different pieces of paper. And it, for me it was an example of like what would it mean to in this particular area of sexuality be just be as powerful as i am right Mm -hmm. because even with what you're saying it's like yeah in the world of like you know of course i'm not going to just like wait and see who asks me to do what intellectually
2: yes (laughs) (laughs) like
1: i must you're the opposite yes (laughs) so this actually brought that into our intimacy and it was it was awesome (laughs) what's made me feel powerful in the rest of my life so it's this this character out of role play comes out of a black feminist piece of literature a short story mm-hmm. by tony k bumbara oh, I, love I love it I it's a story called madame Bai and the taking of stone mountain which is about madame Bay is this like incredible teacher who through this rigorous discipline with this multiracial group of revolutionaries that tony k Bambara has imagined really transforms their idea of what's possible, right? It's one of my favorite stories. I recommend it to everyone. Of course, I've found a way to work (laughs) our into this. And so I embodied, you know, my, my, my is more like a, is my own embodiment of that teacher. And to show up in a space of intimacy of like, I'm the teacher and this is, these are the steps and like, this is what you're going to (laughs) do. and this is what's going to happen now was um, was really amazing, it was really fun it was really liberating and it reminded me that in this area where I do feel like there's so much reinforcement of like no, you don't get to initiate and if you are rejected if you're rejected intellectually you have a lot, I have a lot from like, from two years old being like the only black student in a zillion educational spaces right for like 20 years, I have a lot of like, no, I can come back from that. In terms of sexuality, I just don't have a range of experiences of being rejected and coming back from that powerfully. Mm-hmm. And so then it, it needs to become a practice. But fusing those things together and being like, you know what, this is black feminist literature. Like this is where I live. Like I know that I'm brilliant in this area. And I feel so powerful in this area. That was a moment where I was like, right. I, I those things don't have to be separate, and I don't have to cordon off because my relationship even to Black feminist literature it's not only intellectual it is embodied it right. is ecstatic it's you know it it is something that is cosmic and um, rapturous and beautiful and transformative, and so yeah that's that's one of my I feel I'm glad I'm glad you said awesome it's, I I feel proud of that and as that's kind of something that I go back to and remember like in those areas where I don't feel powerful and I feel like I'm just learning and it's it's like really brave for me to say this or initiate this or take control in this way I can draw on those areas of my life where I know I'm a badass you know and that is um yeah
2: that that was a breakthrough I think for me yeah. Do you want to talk about
0: your experience
2: of that, and then tell us one yeah, of yours? I mean, I think that is actually the the thing that came to my mind, and I was just thinking about how I really wanted to be enrolled in the fantasy, but I just couldn't stop smiling. <laughs> I couldn't really not get my lips to close with my teeth, that's really what I remember, and just being like, okay, well, I guess I'm Shunga Baby, the student. <laughs> And not being cool, I'm just being very happy. <laughs> so I th- so this teacher that I talked about, Oceanike Ankh, who lives in Lexington, Kentucky, had a retreat and I enrolled my best friend to go with me to this retreat. And we've been hearing about it, I wouldn't say for years, but for many, many months. Um, but you know, it was a, a women-only space, a cisgendered women's space. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, but I was totally dedicated to my growth and transformation in this area, sensuality, sexuality, uh, gender identity, spiritual practice. And one, having that, like what comes to my mind is like, you know, I don't give a what, I have to shift in this area. Like I think shift had been happening and I just wanted it to keep going. Um, so like I could see where I could get to, thankfully, because, you know, so many amazing elders, you can see that, okay, this butch elder was here when they were younger and right. look where they now are now. Right. How did, right. you know, how did they get there? Well, growth, like just to put it shortly. And so um, I think that was a big part of it, like just being determined to find spaces where I could do that, but I wasn't gonna do that alone. So I think another major aspect of that is having somebody who identifies similarly to at least go through it with me. And if it was gonna be, you know, bad, well, we were really to there together. Right. And of course we could always leave. Right. Um, so I would say that was a major thing. I mean, you're not supposed to talk about the things that happened in the, in the retreat. Right. But there were aspects where, you know, we couldn't cover up. Right. Our physical bodies, bodies as much as we usually would. Knowing that it's a safe space and knowing that I'm not the only one having this experience and understanding also that this is something that's happening in my mind. And I know I have the power to, sh- to shift that. Mm-hmm. And now, of course we did a lot of joking and laughing through it, but we did. And I feel like coming home from that, it was like a big offering how I related to my body, how I related to our intimacy, and just so much more willingness to be naked and vulnerable and have, you know, Alexis is a generally curious person, so <laughs> whatever is open, she's going to explore it. Um,
1: and
2: I feel like that, that, was, that was really a big part of it. I can't think of a specific example mm-hmm. of an experience, but I feel like after that, yeah, it just... It just shifted for me. And of course, I have days where I'm like, oh look at me. But mm-hmm. generally...
0: Well, one of know. the things I love that you're talking about that's so important for longevity in couples, I think, is that you saw this place you wanted to go. You actually didn't do it with Alexis, mm-hmm. right? You knew you wanted to bring this back to the relationship. Mm-hmm. So you found someone who identifies more like you do mm-hmm. to take yourself into a space mm-hmm. of trying to get to a new place. And then you get to come home and... Play it out, right? And work it out. And I think so many so many couples struggle and, you know, bring difficulty to the relationship by thinking that all has to happen there, mm-hmm. right? And that there's even, like, jealousy or there's something wrong with the couple. If you're going to go to a retreat without me, mm-hmm. you know, and figure these things out and come home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I think that is one of the really glorious things I see in your relationship is yeah. how much... You each have you know you've staked your own paths right and your own territories and um you know you're always growing and creating new things and then you can turn to each other yep. right mm-hmm. and and bring all that energy back in yeah. yeah
1: and I think that really is like the sexiest thing actually like when I think about our relationship and how much desire and energy and like Attraction there is in it I really do think it does have to do with the fact that we are constantly growing mm-hmm. you know like we're not the same people and we're not actually attached to ourselves or each other being the same people mm-hmm. you know like that there's this real excitement of like that's so exciting to me like you're gonna go to this retreat I don't even know what, you what they're
0: doing <laughs> I don't even what you're gonna get, get there, there. <laughs> they haven't told <laughs>
1: but um I get to, like, meet who comes back, you yes. know? And, like, knowing that that's from a place of... And I get... And that... And I know that's going to impact who I am. You know, like, I, I think that, as you said, there can be a lot of fear, especially in close, intimate relationships. And and relationships that have provided something major for us, right? Where there can be fear, like, if you come back somebody else... But I like who you were. Mm-hmm. Of course I like who you were. Mm-hmm. But, there, right. but there's, like, this principle of growth and it's mm-hmm. the same thing we hold for our communities you know like we right. love people where they're at and that's a really important part of everything that we create and like we're so excited about transformation mm-hmm. and we're so excited if we get to be the ones who are there when you write this poem or you share something you never shared before it's like that's so incredible mm-hmm. it's not like can you Get back into that box so so we can right. so like I feel comfortable about who you are and <laughs> our analysis doesn't have to shift. And you know I think there are actually a lot of ways that the type of fear that you talked about in relationships exists in our movements, the movements that we're accountable mm. to, mm. where it's like we're more interested in being right about what we figured out up to now, to now. now. because we fought for it, right? And it was yes. hard to figure out everything yeah, damn, out damn up damn to hard. now. Yep, <laughs> that we're actually afraid of the possibilities that we're making possible with the work that we're doing, you yeah. know? And we're anxious about them. And we're and I, I do think that sometimes that shows up in being more able to analyze what is right now than, you know, being open and vulnerable to like,
2: who knows
1: what it's going to be like? You know, for us, like, who knows what it's going to be like? I, I don't think, I mean, there's so many things in, early on in our relationship. I don't think that either of us would have imagined, you know, and I think that, I remember you used to write poems, like, early in our relationship about how, like, you know, there's all this electricity and energy now, but, like, down the line, when the novelty wears off, wears off, what's going to happen? Right, and I, and I remember being like, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> no. But I think that the thing about the novelty in our relationship it it comes from the fact that like of course we know each other more and we know each other deeper and it's been a long time and for both of us this is our longest romantic relationship we've ever had and at the same time there's so much that's new about it Mm -hmm. you know for us because it's like we're on a new adventure in terms of what we're creating in community in terms of we're in a different place in our growth and that there's, there's something about that that um, it's not. It's not the script. It's not what we mm-hmm. learned about long term relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, like we learned, like at some point, you're just going to be tolerating each other, basically, mm-hmm. and like just try to be nice. You know, like, right. that's, like that's like the best case of I think yes. what we're taught in our society about long term relationships. And I don't. I mean, I never growing up, especially as somebody who was like really critical of relationships that I saw around me and. That was part of my burgeoning critique of patriarchy. I would never think that a relationship that's this long could be this exciting. I wouldn't have thought that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have thought, oh, maybe it could be comforting. Maybe right. it could be stabilizing. Right. Maybe it could be grounding, and it is those things, and those things are important too. But, but I wouldn't think it would be yeah, like like so much mystery and like what's gonna happen and like what are we gonna do? Who are we gonna be? Who are you gonna be? Who, you gonna be? Who am I? You know, right. Just like the existential (laughs) bliss and joy that um, come out of this is really really amazing to me. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alexis and Shango Dara have used the word ceremony quite a bit. And I'd like to use our definition of the day segment this week ...to talk a little bit about the meanings and practices of ceremony in our social, sexual, and familial lives... ...and all of the amazing possibilities embedded in the idea and framework of ceremony. When I think about ceremony, I often think of very patriarchal, religious, or racist traditions... ...that have made it hard for me and others to fully step into ourselves and our sexuality. Traditions like marriage, for instance which is often personally meaningful and even transformational for many of us, but the institution of marriage and the ceremonies around it often reinforce the idea of women as property or virginity as social capital or unions as cementing political and economic power in a family. Or, for instance, I think about my first Holy Communion, a huge event in my young life that was deeply spiritual for me and then ultimately alienating and confusing as I came of age as a lesbian and as someone with many friends outside of the Catholic tradition. I recall distinctly my despair at my priest telling me that all of my Jewish friends were certainly going to hell unless I converted them. So some ceremonies in our lives are sold to us as essential or even forced on us. And as we know, there is no forced anything in sexual liberation. But ceremony is really about creating the daily spaces we need to connect with each other, to reveal ourselves, and to hold the complexities of our lives. Grief and joy, new relationships and tough breakups, children, major milestones, and death. I loved hearing Alexis and Shango say things like, Huh, and then I thought, there must be a ceremony for that. Their incredible practice leaves us with the idea and the hope that there is always a ceremony for getting closer to our lovers, for getting through a hard time, even for honoring a breakup or a change. We just have to take the time to find it. As I re-listened to their conversation with me, I thought of all kinds of ceremonies lovers and friends might create to support and expand on their love and connection. Here were a few ideas that came to mind. Let's say you are marathoners or you love to exercise with your partner. You can get to the end of a long run or workout, and during the time that the endorphins are flying and you are rehydrating, always remember to rehydrate, You can create a ceremony where you risk telling each other something that is hidden or unknown in your relationship. I absolutely love that when Alexis was having a hard time revealing a truth, Shango said, can you tell me that first letter? Let's think about ceremonies that are generous in this way and help us reveal just those first letters to each other. And hey, what about a playlist? Now that's a great ceremony. Create playlists to trade with your lovers that mark celebrations. Encourage them on to new challenges or new heights. Or affirm them when you have gotten through a challenge or a hard period of grief. Or what if you used a playlist to tell your lover something that you haven't been able to say? Music is a great way to reveal yourself Show love and make ceremony. Among my two best friends, we've created many ceremonies over the years when we want to mark milestones and celebrate each other. We have special dinners on our birthdays and really enjoy finding and sharing new places and new food that we love. We always pull tarot cards and read from a deck that has reinterpreted a lot of the patriarchal myths embedded in old-school tarot. Now that we have a long history of pulling cards and cheering each other on through sometimes amazing celebrations and, and great moments and also tough changes, we now have a shared language and shared history to draw on together. This deepens our ceremony and our intimacy. Sometimes we'll create a specific ceremony to address a particular challenge or opportunity. Say when we need to learn something new or celebrate something truly spectacular. Let go of a grudge or get through a roadblock. A favorite ceremony we shared many years ago was a renaming ceremony when one of my beloveds took on his mother's name as a way of making her history and that side of his family more tangible and accessible in his daily life. And that ceremony has changed his life trajectory so much. Okay, so let's get to the definition. Ceremony. Ceremony. A moment, a conversation, a gathering, a practice or a process that connects us to ourselves, to each other, and sometimes to our ancestors And the strengths in their stories in an effort to be more fully present, to take risks, to celebrate one another, and to grow love and resilience. Ceremony. I hope you are taking the time to find yours. Hey, we're gonna take a little break from the show to let you know about my fantastic sponsors. First, Grinder for Equality, a global human rights program, leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ liberation rights and safety around the world. Also, I'd like to thank Elizabeth Scott, a longtime Desire Mapping fan who took the workshop over 10 years ago, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And finally, the Freeman Foundation, also one of my long-term supporters a foundation that centers the power of the erotic in LGBTQ liberation work. Thanks, everyone. If you would like some ideas to support your ceremonies, I've included a list of some of my favorites in the notes for this episode. Just click on the Just Sex podcast link and scroll down below for a list of footnotes. There you can find information about the work of Starhawk, and about my new favorite transformative justice book, Beyond Survival, and also the fantastic tarot deck I use with my beloveds, the Slow Holler Deck. All that and more. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpodcastgmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe I'll
2: shine. I'd like to see your
0: name right beside mine. I can see we're in harmony like we both agree on what to do, and I